0: priesthood of all believers. This is part two. And um, just continuing on from the last time, if you look at all the Orthodox churches in the world, they always have an order of priests. So you look at the Eastern Orthodox, Oriental Orthodox, and the Roman Catholic, they all have priests who they've ordained to uh, perform the sacraments for the laity, right? So this is this is a, going way back in history that they've started this, and we you know you can read in the Church Ages book, and and we'll do a little bit of that today, where you see that development where it started out with elders in a local church who were overseeing. The word overseer in Greek is the same word that we've transliterated to bishop. It's like it's much it's much like the word. Uh, Baptism. Baptism has no meaning in the English language. It's transliterated from the Greek baptizo. So it's directly from the Greek, and they've just created a new word essentially for it. But if they were to literally translate the word baptism, it would mean immersion. We be immersed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, the, and for the word bishop, um, you look at that word. Episcopos is the word. Bishop is comes from, coming from the Latin, much. not that we need a Latin and historic history of the language words, but rapture. Rapture is not, it's always accused, it's not in the Bible, right? It's, the word, it's from the Latin word rapturo, which is translated from the Greek word catching away, harpazo. Harpazo to Latin, rapturo to English, rapture. So it just means catching away. Um, this word bishop is coming from uh, episkopos, that simply means overseer, or to visit is another another word that, that speaks of it, to oversee by visitation. So they took these words, elder, presbyter, and uh, episkopos, they separated these two offices in, in the time of the early church, and they made a bishop over many many local churches and then as time went on they changed changed the meaning instead of being a, a a pastor they changed it from being a pastor to a priest now there's a hierarchy of priests and that's where we find this understanding in eastern orthodox all the all the orthodox churches roman catholic whatever it might be i think anglican also has that viewpoint where they call them priests. And so we understand the Jewish Jewish faith had priests. They had when they had a sacrificial system in operation in Israel. That was up until 70 AD when I, Titus attacked and destroyed the temple. Since that time they have not had an operational priesthood. They have rabbis and it doesn't matter what tribe or what clan they come from, they're simply teachers of the law, but the sacrificial system does not exist in Judaism anymore. Therefore, they have no uh, priesthood. Now, they're looking forward to a time when it will be restored, but since 70 AD, it has not existed anywhere on earth. Um, In Islam, they they actually have no priesthood at all. Um, But if you look at other pagan religions through history they always relied on animal sacrifices and as such they always had a priesthood and the priest the intention of the priesthood is to be a mediator a special class of people that were separated for the purpose of mediating between the people and whatever deity that they were serving so basically they're mediators between God the gods and mankind. So in the Christian faith we understand the Levitical priesthood has been set aside and a new priest arises after a different order. Hebrews 7 verses 11 and 12. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should, should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. In verse 18, For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. It's a very strange and interesting way to speak about laws instituted by God. Referring to laws or commandments which were weak and unprofitable. Now, this can't be speaking of the moral law. The moral law is actually an expression, it's eternal, and it's an expression of the very nature of God himself. The moral law is never done away with. We're not of those Christians who say, there's no moral law governing God's people. There is, it's just how that's applied has changed now under the new covenant. So the moral law, Ten Commandments, is not passing away. What is being disannulled? Disannulled literally means canceled so what is being canceled the sacrificial law that's the very thing that paul's speaking about in hebrews in chapter 7 8 and 9 read it on your own time there's a new covenant he promises a new covenant paul's saying he promised under the old covenant a new covenant why did he do that he promised in the psalms that there would be a priest come after the order of melchizedek if the first priesthood was perfect and could make the worshipers perfect, why did God have to promise a new covenant and a new priesthood? Right. So if there's a new one coming, it means there's a change and there's a cancellation. So these things are simple basic for us, but for the Jewish understanding it's it's a it's a radical revelation that was a complete mystery. They didn't They didn't understand these things this way whatsoever. And Paul comes along and says, don't you see? There's a promise of a new priesthood. Don't you see? There's a promise of a new covenant. That means this one isn't the perfect one. You say, but God instituted it. God instituted it to show us what? Not to show that he's imperfect, to show you and I that we are imperfect imperfect that we can accomplish it but not only that to show that the system of animal sacrifices cannot truly forgive sins the blood and bull of bulls and goats only covered sins and pushed them forward why every year they had to do it over and over and over again next the next year comes the feast of atonement maybe there's a new high priest that high priest has to first offer us Sacrifice for himself and then for the people. That's a continual process that is by nature imperfect. A perfect sacrifice had to come that could be offered once for all. Christ offered his blood. He becomes the priest after the order of Melchizedek. Not after the order of Aaron, but after the order of Melchizedek. There's a new priestly order that comes place now First Timothy two five. There isn't multiple multiple sacrifices for sins, right? There isn't a priestly order that's making sacrifices continually to cover sins. First Timothy two verse five says, "For there is one God, and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There's no other mediators. A prophet." is not a mediator. Why am I saying that? A messenger from God is not a mediator. He is a channel for the Holy Spirit to communicate through. But a prophet, a messenger, an apostle, Paul was not making a sacrifice for sin. Paul was not offering himself as a sacrifice for sin. In in Catholicism, they have the Mass. Every time they do the Mass, they say it's the sacrifice of the Mass, and they're sacrificing every time over and over again, in their minds, the Son of God. That's a sacrifice, and the people eat it, and they receive forgiveness of sins by taking this sacrifice upon themselves. It's completely false. He was off, his body was offered once for all. His blood was shed once. He went up to God. He offered that blood once. And God says, done the sin question is answered the sac- now the worshipers that come to God can be perfect they their their conscience can be totally cleansed what, under the law what, what was it every year we're, we're making a sacrifice for your sins that you didn't realize that you committed that you didn't confess that you forgot about that's what the atonement was for was for sins that were done in ignorance the the Feast of atonement Sins that were committed in ignorance, and they did it every year, again and again. Now that's not necessary. That's fulfilled in Christ. All of our sins are obliterated by that blood. Now, once that blood is offered, a new covenant comes forth. Now we have a new covenant. No sacrifice is needed. No other means of washing away our sins is needed. It's all by That blood. That's why on the cross, when he was dying, he said, it is finished. Tetelestai. That's what he said in Greek. Tetelestai is stamped on documents. When the full price was paid for something, they stamped tetelestai. It is finished. The price has been paid. There's no more sacrifices for sin. The work has been completed. Now, Exodus 19, 5 through 6. I kind of skipped ahead from here, but I want to cover this. This is God's promise to the nation of Israel. Look what he says. Now, therefore, if, I want to highlight that word if, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then shall you be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, if you will obey. Did they? They did not obey. So his promise of being kings and priests to Israel was conditional on their keeping of the covenant. The entire historical books. In the Old Testament, are detailing. They did not do that. Read the end of Deuteronomy. What is the psalm? What is the song that Moses sings? It's quite it's quite a dark song. It's not happy. It's not a rejoicing song. The song is you will not keep the covenant. That's what he sings over them. You will not keep the covenant, you will disobey the covenant, and God will bring all these curses upon you that He's promised, He'll send you in out of this land. So even their living in the land of Israel was conditional on their obedience. If they disobey, I'll cast you out. If you disobey, you're not kings and priests. And their ultimate disobedience was what? Rejecting the Messiah. They rejected and turned against the Messiah. Of course, this is all in God's plan. God, God preordained this to happen that way. He wasn't taken off guard. But they rejected the Messiah and then God said, okay, you're done. The temple is destroyed. Your, wor- your form of worship is altered until, until I restore it, until I restore you. But the promise conditional upon us, what happens when the promises of God are conditional upon us? Over and over and over again. What if, what if all conditions are perfect around us? The Garden of Eden? What if everything is perfect? (laughs) How will we keep the covenant? No, no. It's not going to happen. We cannot keep the covenant. The story of the Bible is that you can't do it. You cannot do it on your own. You're totally incapable. And so he says, I will make a new covenant. I will write my laws in your heart and in your mind. I will put my spirit to live inside of you, and to keep my own laws, and I will shed blood so that your sins are completely obliterated, so that you stand in my sight as though you're perfect. When God does it, it's done. <laughs> when you and I do it, it's a, it, all our righteousness is as filthy rags. So let's look at Revelation 1, 5, and 6. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Did you catch that? He made us by his blood. He made us kings and priests to Israel. He said, if you obey, you'll be kings and priests. Here he says, you know what? You can't. I showed you for thousands of years, you can't. Now I will make you kings and priests. Think about the grace of God to us Gentiles. We were not the chosen people. God was not even dealing with Gentiles for thousands of years. And what ha- then what happens The Jews reject him and he turns to the Gentiles and said, I have made you kings and priests by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now it's a grace covenant to make us kings and priests. Revelations 5, 9 and 10. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and tongue. And people and nation that were redeemed as purchased, he paid the purchased price. He didn't at that time. He hadn't yet claimed his purchase in in, uh, in the world of that day. Just like marriage, there's two parts to every purchase. When you make a purchase, you first pay the price. In 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 marriage, in at this point in time in history, in the Jewish nation, first they had the betrothal. That was where you paid a price. So the father of the groom paid the father of the bride a certain amount that they negotiated. That was the purchase price. Then when he was when the, the wedding was to take place, then he would receive what he had paid for. So Christ at Calvary paid the price, right? Now he comes in spirit form in our day to receive his bride to himself, to enter into an invisible union, spiritual union with his bride. But it's by that purchase price, now we enter into a new relationship. And he, you have, through that blood, through that purchase, you've made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. Amen? We are now in the relationship, in the position of kings and priests, and in the future, in the millennium, we will reign on the earth. Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, on such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand Years so. Under all religions in history, there was a special class of people called priests. They were the mediators between the deity and the people. But now, under the new co- this new covenant that's made in the blood of Christ, every single believer is a priest. Think about that. Every single believer is a priest. First Peter two. Five. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Who was Peter writing to? Was he writing to preachers only? Absolutely zero evidence of that. He was writing to saints, he was writing to believers, every believer. And then, verse nine. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So every believer is a priest. This, has to, this completely does away with Catholicism and all the Orthodox faiths that separate the priesthood into a different class of people. That's completely done away with. Okay, so we're priests. Priests were always doing what under the Old Covenant? Offering sacrifices, right? Do we offer sacrifices? We covered that pretty clearly. There is no more sacrifice for sin. The work is completed. A perfect sinless sacrifice was offered. And now we have a new high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And he stands as the only mediator between God and men. We are not mediators between God and men because we didn't offer a sacrifice and we are not that high priest. But let's look at it this way under the Old Covenant, not every sacrifice that was given had to do with sin. So if you look at this, there were five different types of sacrifices. I'm not going to go into detail on this, there was the burnt offering obviously has to do with sin. There was the grain or meal offering. It actually has nothing to do with sin. There's the sin offering. Obviously has to do with sin. There's the guilt offering. Again, has to do with sin. And there's a peace offering. It doesn't directly have to do with sin, but it has to do with restoring fellowship between God and men. Therefore, it's definitely connected to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So there's four different sacrifices that we can definitely tie to being fulfilled by Jesus Christ. But there's one, which is the grain or the meal offering. This grain offering was a dedication. It was a dedication. It was basically saying, thank you, God, for what you've done for me. So what do we do in our priesthood? Let's look at this. And again, this is all about worship. What is priesthood? It's all about worship. What is the gospel all about? Ultimately, it's all about worship. The Great Commission was to go out and create worship for God where there wasn't worship for the true and living God. So when we are acting as priests, what is it? It's worship. So again, we, we read these already, but you are a spirit. 1 Peter 2, verse 5, you're built up a spiritual house, holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Our spiritual sacrifices are only acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Now, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we can now have direct access to God, because of the blood that he shed, the veil was rent, and we can walk in to the very presence of God where only the high priest could go once per year. Now, we're all, if we don't go in, it's death. Before, if we did go in, it would be death. Now, if we don't enter inside the veil, it's death. But we can only do that by Jesus Christ, we can't do that on our own efforts. Then, verse 9, we're a a chosen generation of royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Why? That you should show forth the praises of him who has called you. Hebrews 13, 15. Why are we supposed... Let me back up. Why are we supposed to show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness? Because he's our object of worship. Beyond that, so that others would hear and see what God has done for you, and they could enter into the same, called us out of darkness into a marvelous light. What is that talking about? Salvation. Redemption. So why are we praising him for his redemption, for his salvation? Because he's worthy of it, and because he wants others to enter in and experience that same thing. Hebrews 13:15 By him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Again, it's not just lifting our hands in a worship service, right? This is the this is going right down to the nitty-gritty of how you speak. What is your confession? What do you talk about on a daily basis? Are your lips giving thanks to his name? Or is it talking about how dark and how bad and how terrible it is? Or are you talking about how great God is in the midst of all this? Um, My goodness. I guess there's probably going to be a part three here. Um, Let me read this quote, and then we'll close with that. It's from Faith is the Substance in 1951. The love of God is like a notary public, takes a seal and presses it until the inscription of that seal is pressed in the paper over the signature. Oh, my. And when Christ signs your name on the book of life and the Holy Spirit presses it in there until the life of Christ is formed in you, hallelujah, becomes deity. Men and women are sons and daughters of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know we shall be, we'll be like him for we will see him as he is have a body like his own glorious body, and we're waiting for our perfect redemption. Amen, you believe it? Our bodies are growing, and we have an inheritance, and we're children now, heirs of the kingdom, kings and priests unto God, offering spiritual sacrifices. What does a priest do? Make a sacrifice. What is a spiritual sacrifice? That's what these sons and daughters do, which are kings and priests, yet not in full possession, but they're making sacrifices, offering to God's spiritual sacrifices, the fruit of our lips giving praise to his name, the fruits of our lips. You say, Brother Branham, I just don't feel like praising him. That's the time to make the sacrifice. Praise him anyhow. Kings and priests, sons and daughters offering spiritual sacrifice, the fruit of our lips giving praise unto his name. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, we just come to you, Lord, and we ask that you would bring the quickening of the word into our hearts. Draw us closer to you, Lord. Move in a mighty way in the service, Father, through the worship and through the the preaching of the word. May you be glorified in all of it, Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.